Thanks for listening to KATH 910 AM, Frisco, Dallas, Fort Worth, and North Texas. Catholic Radio for your soul on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Heard also at grnonline.com and on your smartphone. Your connection to our treasured Catholic faith all day, every day. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Hovering over the skies of a post-Christian society, we have spotted a man with a donut in one hand and rosary beads in another. Child, I'm about to whoop Satan's behind. He is boldly proclaiming truth and reason like no rigid Catholic ever has before. The David L. Gray Show begins now. Loves you and is there for you. Welcome in to the David L. Gray Show, voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network, which is radio for your soul. And we begin in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Oh my Jesus, forgive us of our sins, save us from the fires of hell, and lead all souls of heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. Our Lady of Guadalupe, pray for us. Saint Dominic Guzman. Pray for us. Venerable Father Augustus Tolton, pray for us. So what are we talking about today? There are some dark consequences of living in a post-Christian society. I'll talk about those. In the second part of the show, starting about the 15-minute mark, Timothy S. Flanders, creator of The Meaning of Catholic and editor of One Peter Five, returns to the David L. Gray Show to converse with us about his new book, City of God versus City of Man. So I'm looking forward to Timothy being back on the show and conversing about this uh, really awesome book. I've heard you to go out there, take a look at it. You can find it at Amazon, but we'll talk more about that coming up. And a phone number here is 877-757-9424. That's 877-757-9424. If you desire to call in and opine, while Timothy is here, Cecil Anderson is the sure my show. She's here. How's it going, Cecil? It's going pretty well. I'm kind of in shock that we're 10 days away from Christmas, but it's going well. Other than that, <laughs> the kind of existential <laughs> crisis I'm having because of it. <laughs> man, yeah, 10 days away. That is, man. Yeah, I, I got <laughs> did that I just same send you existential into it? <laughs> crisis. I did. Yeah, I'm there where you are. That's, that, Sorry. That is, <laughs> that is crazy. We haven't had a live show since like right beginning, right since the beginning of, of Thanksgiving. Now you've been. Yes, I've been doing pretty well. You know, um, it's kind of an interesting, busy time of the year where you're trying to like. Remember, it's Advent and prepare and have that kind of quieting of your heart, but it's also chaos going on outside. So, but right. other than that, I'm doing pretty well. Awesome. Good to hear. And I didn't know we had this in common. So we were <laughs> chatting um, earlier this week and I didn't know that we both like Korean dramas. What's <laughs> up with that? <laughs> I could not believe that we were talking about TV shows and I was like, oh yeah, I watch like K-dramas. And you were like, let's talk about our favorite K-dramas. And I'm like, you have a favorite K-drama? <laughs> that was the funniest thing ever. Oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah my, yeah, my wife, she watches all types of Korean dramas. So action and all that stuff. I'm only into the into the romance so i <laughs> got it uh <laughs> so yes my favorite ones are i think crash landing on you oh my goodness <laughs> it's a one class 
and um, hometown Cha Cha Cha. And a girl who's in Itaewon class, she's in this one that I'm watching now called Hometown something like that. No, or, or something about our summer. I forget. Our beloved summer. Wow. Yeah. Well, I like yeah. a lot of the ones that you mentioned. Uh, I have not seen the Itaewon class one. That one, I'm in the middle. But the one I watched recently that I really enjoyed was uh, called Chocolate. Uh, and I did watch uh-huh. it just because I saw the title was Chocolate, to be completely <laughs> frank. <laughs> but I thought it was had a very beautiful... Um, pro-life message in it because it takes place it's a romance but it does take okay. place um at a hospice uh center which oh, i i realized yeah. the my wife watched that one yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, be- I, I you know you kind of have to be prepared for that when you're going in and i definitely was not prepared i did not i just saw you know cute couple fall in love i'm like perfect mm-hmm, turn it mm-hmm. on and i was like oh no this is gonna be sad isn't it <laughs> mm-hmm. um but no it was it was very good and it has a lot about the dignity at the end of life so I really oh, appreciated okay. it, but um, yeah, but Crash Landing on You is, oh my goodness, the cheesiest, best thing ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Chocolate just seemed, I tried to get into chocolate, it just seemed kind of slow for me. I it don't is, know why. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it okay, is. Okay, it is. I tend yeah, to like slow things. So. You do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because then, then if I look, the thing I love about Korean dramas though, David, is that, you know, they have all those like really long cuts and slow motion scenes yeah. where if you're like, I like to work on a project while I'm watching so I can look down and look up, and they're still doing, you know, they're still, you know, in the same sequence. I okay, so hold, wait, so we had a pause right there because I think <laughs> we just had a rub, all right? Uh oh. So are you watching Korean dramas but listening to them in English? No, 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 no. I'm, okay. I, I'm, I am definitely watching with the English subtitles, <laughs> but I'm listening so to it in Korean. So how can you work? So how can you work and watch a K drama? I definitely have had to back it up and go back again. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but you know they have like these, these really long slow motion like the, from a filmmaker sp- standpoint they have a very distinctive way they do things and okay. on these certain scenes where they like they first make eye contact it takes like 20 seconds do you know how much you can do in 20 seconds <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true you can go. so yeah. yeah i can paint a portrait at that time that's and come funny. back yeah so all right so here's my best pitch for people who have never watched korean dramas right and so people on a people are listening to us like what's this korean drama thing <laughs> is it like young and restless no so this this is my my best pitch is that um it wraps up typically these korean dramas are just one season they're about maybe 16 episodes mm-hmm. And at the end of them, they wrap everything up. You don't typically have any questions at the end. You know what happened to everyone's life. You fell in love with people. You hated people. And it's over. Go on to the next one. You'd have to, you don't have to watch for five, ten seasons. That's my best pitch. What's yours? Ooh, I would say my best pitch is is that it, there, there's something very youthful and almost innocent about a lot of them. Not all of them, but they generally, I don't know if you noticed it, but if you try to watch an American romance, it's can can be a little sketchy with what you, you get to see so generally yeah. with korean ones they generally are cleaner so they do they get courtship right don't yeah, they? they do they do the whole meeting thing and it's very much about getting to know each other and it's not like how we would do it in america like a hollywood produce one of these it, and you can definitely tell which ones netflix has had a hand in um because they oh, okay. have more um you know inappropriate content in it that oh, they might be okay. that's the ones i usually switch off of, but oh okay mm-hmm. okay yeah i don't think i, I noticed that mm-hmm. yeah and uh, there's a there's a concept in like Hollywood, I, I, but I don't notice so much in <clears throat> Korean dramas. It's it's called the the meet cute, where you have <laughs> these two characters, right, and they 
um, have this weird sort of meeting and they sort of like fall in love at first sight. It's, you know, it's called a meet cute, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, but Korean dramas, I don't know if you noticed this, noticed especially with like um, uh, Crash Landing on You, that they always have this thing about these characters who are falling in love, they somehow met each other when they oh, were kids. I know. <laughs> it's like the most what unrealistic thing ever, but it's so, yeah, like, yeah, obviously, because like, definitely someone from North Korea ended up in a, in, you know, they found, met each other in like Switzerland or something like that when they were, you know, 10 years ago. Because like, obviously, your future spouse, you definitely met several times or all across the world. Uh, FYI, if you do watch these things, like that's not how we, they have a lot to do. I feel like on, on, a, on a slightly negative side, they're very big into almost like the soulmate kind of thing like the destiny right. sort of destiny, thing, which is not destiny exactly. which is not obviously something we as catholics would, would believe but <laughs> it is entertaining to see all the ways they try to weave their story together yeah yeah, yeah. yeah that's great <laughs> what's going on back to the father this week but you and dave anderson you and uh, babe no, <laughs> dave, palmer. Dave, Anderson, dave palmer yeah, dave you know. <laughs> uh, that's a fantastic question we are going to be talking we've been doing a series uh talking about saint thomas's um uh teachings about uh, christ incarnate um and why we did one on like why it was um god the son that became man and not god the father god the holy spirit uh don't ask me to try to explain that because that's dave's job <laughs> but uh we're going to be concluding that because it's going to be our last show of the uh year because uh dave's going to be taking a couple weeks off but if you want to join back to the father we're going to talk about kind of um finishing up about uh, thomas's teachings on uh baby jesus awesome thanks so, so, yeah. so that's fridays at 2 p.m <laughs> and um so um, I'm going to try to get Cecil on the camera, but if you do want to see Cecil, that's on Fridays <laughs> at 2 p.m. And make sure you guys download the Guadalupe Radio Network on app on all your smartphones and use it to listen to all of our programming all day long, including Back to the Father. And the Catholic Drive Time Show with Joe McClain, Adrian Francesca, Rudy Carlos, starting at 6 a.m. Central Time. Also, subscribe um, to Guadalupe Radio Network on all social media platforms, Facebook, YouTube, the Twitter. This is the David L. Gray Show, voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network, which is radio for your soul. We got Timothy Flanders in the studio already, so we're bringing him in in about uh, five or so minutes here. We're going to be talking about his book, The City of God versus The City of Man. So looking forward to that. But <clears throat> I want to talk to you just first just about um, the consequences of living in a post-truth society. I find that holy people do not talk about themselves a lot. Holy people do not talk about themselves a lot because the reason why is because they much rather tell you more about God than about themselves. A great teaching from St. Dominic was to encourage us to speak only to God or about God. And he must have gleaned that teaching from Christ Jesus himself, who spoke very little about himself. If you, if you never know, Jesus, he, he would rather deflect inquiries about himself and rather to, he would rather choose to focus on conversing with us about the father because the St. Pope Benedict XVI wrote, the father and having relationship with him is a new thing that Jesus brought us. Therefore, the Gospel of John is very interesting in that way because it contains seven or nine, depending on how you number them, statements about Jesus talking about himself. In John, Jesus says this about himself. He says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the light that came into the world. He says, I am the door of the sheep. 
He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the life, and the truth. And I am the vine. So those seven distinct statements, those are seven distinct statements, but but nine altogether, if you if you divvy out the times, you know, he mentioned a couple things together about himself. But in twice, two times in those instances of him speaking about himself, does he call himself the life? So twice he says that, I am the life. Yet the most profound of all of them, I, I found to be his triple confession. When he says, I am the way, the life, and the truth. And he spoke that in response to Apostle Thomas asking, saying, Lord, we do not know where you are going and how can we know the way? To which Jesus said, I am the way, the life, and the truth. That is, if our desire and hope is to dwell in the, uh, in the house of God the Father, then the only way to get there is by, is by following Jesus, who points us to himself as being the door, the key, the means of access, the way, the life, and the truth. Therefore, if Jesus is the way, the life, and the truth, and there is no other true way, life or truth outside of him, therefore then follows that the signs of a post-Christian society would be the loss in the belief that our destination matters. If we do not believe in the way, then the way, the, the, the course that society is on must be towards perdition. Because again, every way outside of Christ must lead to hell if following him is the only way to heaven. Lest God corrects them, I find that human roads always lead to darkness. So when we see human effort trying to fix everything, even divine problems, trying to fix things such as sin with human effort, with legislation, faithless science, policy, and conversations, let's dialogue about this, they say. All we are witnessing is the repetition of the Tower of Babel. Our hearts were created by God. Therefore, their heart yearns to be like God. But the natural, the non-divinized human heart pretends to play just a sad imitation of God, stealing from God like Eve, destroying creation like Cain. Outside of Christ, our ways always lead to death, while the way to Christ always leads to life. And I say this at a moment when at least 12 major cities, 12 major cities are reporting having broken their annual homicide and crime records and 2021 isn't even over yet truth leads to life while lies lead to death therefore a post-christian society is a post-truth society so this is why from the moment we wake up to the moment we fall asleep we're being inundated with lie after lie after lie because all the world knows is the way to death. I don't know if you, you watched my conversation with Miss Sharisha Dobbins on my YouTube channel. And I'm honestly, I'm still a bit shaken from that conversation because it was alarming to me that here's a person who calls herself a Catholic and a pro-abortionist in the same breath. 
and for an entire hour said nothing to me whatsoever that was true. Lied to me constantly as if we're, as if like, it's like I was listening to like a, a demon. I mean, just lie after lie. It was shocking that a human mouth could utter so much of what is not true except for his name. But yeah, I don't believe that Sharissa is an anomaly because what human beings seek most, I believe is comfort. And there is something very comforting about lying to ourselves and believing the lies that we're told. Entering this mental state of psychosis, our little fantasy world, which gives us comfort because it gives us protection from the truth and apparent protection. Indeed, truth leads to life. But for most people, it's not the life they want to have. It's a love, yes. But it's a love that demands sacrifice is what they're afraid of. And sacrifice, because sacrifice is hard. It's not easy. Yet there is a false easiness that the lies of this world calls comfortable and that the world wants us to be comfortable in. Yet carrying our cross is the most uncomfortable thing we'll ever do, yet we're called to do it. God is not dead. But in a world that is inclined to perdition, death, and lies, the way to life just isn't, isn't accepted. A post-truth society is in love with the lie. And the only counter we have as Catholics is just to live a life that is just uncompromisingly sold out for Christ Jesus. And that's all I know about that. Right after the break, Timothy Flanders will be on to converse with us about his new book, City of God versus City of Man. This is the David L. Gray Show, voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network, which is radio for your soul. The University of Dallas, a sponsor of the Guadalupe Radio Network, has produced a documentary-style miniseries called The Quest that recently aired on EWTN television and is now available to everyone at no charge. The Quest draws on scripture, history, and literature to explore the Christian life as a narrative of joyful courage in troubled times. Each of the five episodes can be viewed by visiting quest.udallas.edu. That's Quest. How does the GRN choose the programming that it airs? The Guadalupe Radio Network has always had the specific goal and purpose to assist each person who tunes into our stations to have an authentic and real encounter with Jesus Christ. So, we choose programming that helps provide a Catholic context to the world around us, timely advice on relationships and parenting, as well as provide solid Catholic answers to difficult questions. Additionally, through our devotional broadcasts of the Holy Mass, Divine Mercy Chaplet, and Rosary, our programming enables you to grow deeper in your relationship with our Savior. As a result, the content you hear on the GRN guides you to a more active sacramental life and a richer understanding of the Catholic faith where you can fully encounter the living God even in this life. 
That is why we are radio for your soul. Will you help us spread the word? This is Len Oswald, president of the GRN, with your GRN Family Minute. Planning on shopping online this year for Christmas? Did you know that you can help the Guadalupe Radio Network when you do your Christmas shopping online? All you need to do is shop on Amazon Smile and 0.5% of your purchase goes to the GRN. Just go to AmazonSmile.com and select La Promesa Foundation as your nonprofit of choice. La Promesa is the parent company of Guadalupe Radio. It's that simple to give some extra help to the Guadalupe Radio Network during the holiday season. Welcome back in to the David L. Gray Show, voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Happy to have my friend back in the studio, Mr. Timothy Flanders. He is the creator of The Meaning of Catholic Apostolate, which you can find everywhere. Just type in The Meaning of the Catholic. You'll find it on the YouTube, the Facebook page, um, the website. Also, he is the editor of One Peter 5, putting out some great content there. Welcome back on the show, Timothy. How you doing? Oh, Jesus is King. It's great to be back uh, at Happy Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe a few days ago. Oh, well, hold on one moment there. I think I can see Timothy speaking. I just can't hear him. Give me oh, one moment. To... Oh, there he is. Timothy, welcome oh. on. I'm sorry I didn't hear you. I saw you speaking, but I couldn't hear you. How's it going? Oh, okay. I, I don't know what happened there. But uh, yes, Jesus is King. It's great to be back on. Happy Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe a few, a few days ago. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So I have a surprise for you. I don't know if you know this. Um, I didn't tell you this. So um, if you've been over to my website lately, I don't know if you, you've been there, but you'll see that I'm um, I'm teaching some classes for homeschool students starting in the fall oh starting in the summer i'm gonna have some classes for for homeschool students right and um in 2023 in the fall of 2023 i'm teaching this class called and i'm rolling out these classes like 12 classes but i'm rolling them out you know not all at one time so in the fall of 2023 i'm offering a new class that semester called the Catholic citizen and Catholic social teaching or Catholic, a Catholic social teaching and the Catholic citizen. And so one of my texts for the class required texts is the city of God versus the city of man. I'm that impressed with your book. And I think is I think it's going to make an awesome textbook. And um, hopefully you'll be able to put together some sort of, um, some learning tools for me because I think this is a textbook. I really do. I think it's every student. I think it's, it's not just, uh, for, I think for high school students, but the thing is that it's so hard. I think for teachers to find books that really articulate Catholic history within the world history, world civilization within and in, in that incorporate how, how it is have Catholics have been citizens um, or subjects throughout history and i think you do a really good job with that you you clearly state how we've been involved our role um our failings and uh struggles and man this is just a really great book thanks for publishing it and writing oh, well, it well that's fantastic uh, thank you so much for uh including that in the curriculum that that was a secondary goal of it was really to, wow uh, yeah yeah we i it was mainly for the Catholic, the average catholic layman 
Uh, uh-huh. That's that's who's who's being targeted here to j- just try to give Catholics hope and a true understanding of their history because we've been fed a lot of lies, like you've been you just talked about. Uh, there's been a lot of lies, not only about our history, like that are commonly thrown around even today, even by the Pope, like the Crusades, the Inquisition, all this nonsense. Uh, even but even in this modern period, there's been a lot of confusion and and sort of oversimplifications of what's really going on in the past 200 years. And we, I really wanted to write this like for my own children to just say hey here's a book that's gonna i i'm just trying to explain everything in in like in an exciting story that you know a 15 mm-hmm. year old would find really fun to read yeah so that's that is a secondary uh a secondary goal of the book so i'm really glad that uh, it's being used and thank you for your your very generous uh uh blurb on on the book as well david thank you <laughs> yeah i remember when i when i was sending it back to you you're kind of like i don't know it felt like you're kind of taking it back by because i did compare this book to city of god um, by um saint augustine just how timothy does a really good job in his book and you can find it online anywhere i know he has a link to it on his website pointing you back to amazon where he has um uh, Kindle copies and paperback copies. And so it's City of God versus City of Man by Timothy S. Flanders. And so I just really appreciated how it's not some sort of dry history book. It's you narrate storytelling through explaining history as well. And I thought I thought St. Augustine did that most famously in City of God. He's telling a story a real story, but also he's uh, real history, but also he's telling it as as a as a story. So it makes it easy to read, it makes it pleasurable to read, and it also has an impact on the brain. That it, um, it's sort of like music and song. When you were reading story, it just has a deeper impact in our in our memory and our conscience. So yeah, I think that's I fantastic. You did an awesome I, job with that. I'm so glad to hear that, uh, David. It, it's I meant it to be kind of almost like an, a hagiography of the church itself so okay. just the glories of of how, what god has done in history yeah uh and the story of god in history the fact that god is lord over history and i i attempt to show that in this in this text uh to really put because history has been co-opted by atheist materialism so even catholic historians will just sort of say well then this king did this and then this pope did this <laughs> right they don't say what was god doing what was god exactly. doing in this period and I, and I attempt to bring that out just with the saints and and how do we interpret things like the uh, when the the muslims invaded well all the saints understood what happened at that time they under they had a intuition that god was pouring out his wrath on his people and we see this throughout history in, in the same way that we see it in the holy scriptures we see the same thing going on in the holy in the uh the history of the church mm-hmm. yeah the most beautiful thing your last school i was teaching that used this textbook i don't know if you've ever heard of it it's called light to the nations and it does just that i mean it's, it's supposed to be like a catholic history textbook and it does you know it does talk more about charlemagne than you would read anywhere else right and you know things like that but where was god where's the providence right where's where's the leading in this where's god is in this whole history but what what is what is what's the structure of the book so you're talking about 2000 years right give us give us the outline uh yeah it's basically 2000 years but we do go back to the very beginning with adam and eve so it is uh trying to be a a, a one volume history which tries to simplify as much but also without oversimplifying to the point of making things too that are really complex too obscure um that especially like in our modern period we people have people throw around a lot of theories about 
what's going wrong with the church right now. Some was like, oh, it was Vatican II. And the others say, no, it's, it's, not, it's not this implementation. Uh, I say it's actually far more complex than all of those theories combined. In fact, that, that part of the book is going to be very controversial because nobody's going to like it. It's not going to make everybody, <laughs> anybody happy in their, in their okay. theories. Um, but uh, it's the basic structure of the book is um, that we need to see Christ as coming to, as the Lord of his throne on earth, which is, which takes place in the soul of every human being. But he saves every soul, and then he saves the society. And so this is a, okay. it's really a spiritual history of culture in the fullest sense of the term culture. Yeah, yeah, awesome. And so we're speaking with Mr. Timothy S. Flanders. He is the creator of The Meaning of Catholic. Also, you can find his, his done, he's done a lot of work as editor over at 1 Peter 5. So check him out there. And Tim, where else can people find you? Are those the main two? Um, um, avenues uh yep uh, the, so this text is available you go to meaningofcatholic.com slash city of god and we have a paperback kindle and ebook available now and we will have an audiobook as well oh wow um, so hardback god willing but um it, it's really it's um i'm hoping to get the audiobook out especially because it's really just meant to be the excitement of god's working and and to give us hope for the situation that we find ourselves in yeah yeah do you have any thoughts on who you're going to have narrate or read the book is it going to be you or are you going to um shop that out oh yeah i have a, I have a reader who did my first book and uh he's he's very good we've we've been forming a business partnership so yeah. Uh, his name's Michael JB. He also writes for one Peter five. Oh, wow. awesome. And so let's work through the book a little bit so we can give our listeners sort of a taste of why I was so impressed with the book and why I think everyone should go out and get a copy you know, in any format that's uh, most convenient to them. And so I want to just start at a little bit at the beginning um, and open up with talking about the two empires what are the two empires yeah so basically the the first two chapters talk about the context of that this cosmic dominion of satan and his fallen angels over the entire world and that satan is actually ruling through these empires and that's this is how we see that satan works because empire itself is a, an imposition of bloody conquest, conquering other nations and destroying them for the sake of worshiping an antichrist figure. So in the case of the Roman Empire, it was Caesar Augustus. And then there was the, and then there's also the Persian Empire, the other empire that people don't talk about. That's another aspect of the history that we're missing. Uh, so we have these two different empires, but they also have two different aspects. There's the, uh, they're an empire of death because they are imposing themselves by, by means of bloodshed. But they do so with a justification of freedom. They have their own gospel. Uh, the Roman Empire called itself. They had their own son of God. The Persian Empire had its own king of kings. Um, these are titles that were already in existence before the New, New Testament was written. And so we know the New Testament is actually taking these political terms that existed before Christ and restoring them to their rightful owner, Jesus Christ himself. And so Jesus Christ comes to break the power of the satanic empire, which is over the whole world, both spiritual and political, 
and then it's being ruled through these puppet empires, the Roman Empire, Persian Empire, and he yeah. breaks the power of Satan and plants this mustard seed, which ultimately conquers this empire. <laughs> wow, that sounds like a fascinating story. If I didn't know it's true, I would, I, I would definitely be interested in finding out more about this. I like the way you laid that out. And, and Diana Alice, she's commenting on the one of the YouTube streams, and she's commenting on, on what we were saying earlier. She says, yes, thank you for writing in a way that makes it easy for people like me to understand. Emoji, big smiley face. So... <laughs> <laughs> great yeah I, this is just uh yeah this is just for people who love i mean we all love the the the, the um stories of the saints everybody loves those and this is just meant to be the story of the holy church the bride of christ sort of as a saint if you will and all the saints of that church and how they conquered in all their different eras and that can give us hope for our own time yeah yeah and within those and within that journey of, of God's providence and his work, what would, you, what would you say are some of the most pivotal events in the last 2,000 years after Christ that you would say just have just fundamentally changed the trajectory of human civilization? Of course, the crucifixion, the resurrection is the event that, that changes everything. You have to do something with that 2,000 years ago. You have to reconcile that because everything changed. But post that, after that, what, what were some of those events do you think just set us on like just a new course that if they would not have happened, uh, we would be somewhere else? Well, we just celebrated the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And one of the interesting thing was that I discovered that there was actually a, a, a we, we just heard the story of that, but there was actually Our Lady of Ephesus, who was really the first time that there was sort of this in culture relation in a good sense which transformed a corrupted view of the human person particularly women and cor and corrected it and cleansed it and then converted the whole world and so there was actually artemis ephesia who was venerated at ephesus as a goddess as a part of this sort of proto-feminist feminism mm -hmm. and saint john actually brings our lady to ephesus in the early days as when she was still alive and then our lady is proclaimed as the mother of god at the council of ephesus and all of this is pro god's providential working wow. to cleanse the roman empire of this goddess worship and also exalt the dignity of woman and this is what totally transforms everything because the veneration of mary and 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 more universally just the the christian gospel regarding marriage completely transforms and raises up the dignity of woman to be the queen of the home and the queen of her family, just as our, our lady is, which just tr transforms everything. And it's amazing how this is just a new incarnation of Christ because our lady, every time our lady comes, Christ is incarnate again, as it were in a new culture, just as it, as it was at Guadalupe. But what's interesting, I, I discovered this because literally I, I heard something from a neo-pagan who actually worships this goddess Artemisia, <laughs> and he went to Ephesus and dug up all these archaeological ruins and everything. And he, his book actually shows inadvertently how much Our Lady really triumphed in a similar way as she would later do at Guadalupe. Well, I'm gonna have to go check out that footnote because you footnote his his um his work. Yes, uh, this okay. is by uh, 
a man named Retfield who uh, is an archaeologist and and a, a great lover of this ancient goddess because he he thinks that oh, she kind of lives on in Mary as unfortunately, but uh, we hope that he's converted to Christ. But it's it's really quite amazing because this we, we, what we understand is how how Christ comes down and he he uses violence in his own temple and this is cleansing his own throne in the same way as all the saints universally violently destroyed the thrones of demons in order to build a cathedral, which mm. is a, a, a literally the throne of Christ in a society because Christ has an, is enthroned in the blessed sacrament. Um, and we see how God really works to transform using that mustard seed, as he said in the gospel, because he plants the Christian family and which transforms marriage it transforms the dignity of woman it transforms the soul and the family gradually grows into a community and a a, a the body of christ the mystical body of christ and this transforms from within the society in every place and, it, and it's just this wondrous work of grace that yeah. we see in societies yeah yeah man I, I, I think your book is the answer when people want to talk about how you know you still have those people today talking about how bad religion has um been and they they don't make the distinction between say christ and his church versus the people in his church because i think you point out in your book that yeah people there have been some bad catholics but just looking uh following your book from the beginning to the end you can just really see the providence of god conforming what men meant for evil for his good and we're speaking with timothy s flanders he is the creator of the meaning of catholic and he's the editor over at one peter five he wrote a wonderful book called city god versus city of man you have to get it you have to check it out read the reviews on amazon they're all glowing and if you'd like to speak with timothy flanders about something that's happened over the last 2000 years concerning Christ and his church. I'm sure he's touched on it in this book. And so feel free to call in at 877-757-9424. That's 877-757-9424. So I'm just walking um, Timothy through just some of the highlights of his book so you can see how wonderful it is and um, how I think important it is, how I think it's just gonna be a, a classic in for our church. So I'm just gonna walk up and sort of to maybe sort of towards the end of our conversation here, just kind of ask him, you know, where we, where are we now? But I'd like to come back to the East and West conflicts, um, Rome, Constantinople. And did, did you, I always found that to be, found that to be more of a, <laughs> there's more politics involved in theology. Nowadays you hear, you know, you can pick up any book from the Orthodox and they talk about how bad the Latins are, everything that we're doing wrong. But was that really the case a little bit over a thousand years ago? Was it really about theology or was there something else going on? Oh, yeah. Well, this is one of the complex things that, that went on, which is still going on. Um, and I was Eastern Orthodox before I came to Rome, and I spent years studying this also on the graduate level. And I found that the, the issue is extremely complex and uh, there is there is a lot of theological stuff, but there's also a lot of politics and culture and economics and all sorts of things as well, hmm. uh, which are critical as well, historically. Now, now that, like you said, now they're not people just talking about this theology, but at the time there were huge political and cultural things that were going on. And one of the things I discovered in this book that I didn't realize, but 
that seems to make a, a lot more sense than a lot of the histories that I've read is that on a cultural level, the Roman emperor was the Pontifex Maximus since Caesar Augustus. And that was a religious, uh, a religious office. It literally, it means the high priest. It was the high priest of the Roman religion with Caesar Augustus. And this title of Pontifex was con continued to be used by the Roman emperors and he even had priestly rituals of his own into the 10th century AD. So the Roman emperor of Constantinople, the so-called Byzantine emperor, he was doing these priestly rituals that were inherited from paganism into the 10th century. And wow. this actually explains a lot better one of the central issues, because the question of the first millennium, the, the tension between East and West is really, who really is the Pontifex Maximus in the church? Is it the Pope of Rome or is it the emperor in Constantinople? That's okay. the real issue. Okay. And so the the emperor in Constantinople is actually appointing, he's deposing or appointing his own bishops of Constantinople. They're basically like his own bureaucrats. Uh, and this comes to a, the climax in the fifth ecumenical council, which is basically a contrived council of the emperor Justinian to try to force the Pope of Rome to do his bidding because he's the Pontifex Maximus. And he would mm. literally hunt down the Pope with an army and force him to try to sign documents. And he would do that with everybody that would, that's what the Roman emperor did as the Pontifex Maximus. And this is the, the, the inner cultural battle that's going on in the first monument. And it's, I'm just so surprised that no historians have really brought this out because to me, I, I think it's, it's absolutely central. Um, and then that's, that's what gets into all these, uh, all these theological or cultural or lit ritual um, tensions between East and West, okay. which to a great degree become a pretext for just sort of political tensions. Yeah. So if that's the root, um, how do you deal with that root? Well, it is complex because the there is a sacred role to be done, to be held by the emperor, because we did have a sacred role of the Roman Empire in the West as well. The Holy Roman Emperor, as you mentioned previously, Charlemagne. However, this role by the lay power is not does not have a priesthood. We don't have a sacramental or any kind of religious priesthood you know we have a baptism a priesthood of the baptism if you will and but there is a and there is a, a role for the holy roman emperor to play even in resolving church matters at, to a degree like in the great western schism but he does not do anything like the eastern emperors ever did like emperor justinian was composing his own doctrinal decrees and imposing them on the church he was composing liturgies and imposing them on the church to this day the divine liturgy in the east has the hymn of emperor justinian now it's perfectly orthodox so there's no problem with the hymn itself but yeah. this is just a holdover to this from this pagan idea basically that the, that the pagan emperor is the high priest and he has this priesthood uh, yeah that's fascinating and your chapter called red martyrs against red bloodshed you state that during the time of saint ignatius of antioch the church was led by the crusading spirit of martyrs, the crusading spirit of martyrs. And I want you to just talk about that a little bit, that terminology, because I thought that was very compelling, the crusading spirit of martyrs. So what's going on yeah. in, in this in the second century? Yeah, basically, this is the, the reality that Christians are citizens of the city of God, and we are at war with the city of man. And the, the city of God is the community of all the baptized and the angels all together. 
uh, fighting with the city of man to convert the city of man. And so the crusading spirit is the war by means of the cross. It's the war of Christ himself to dethrone the satanic emperor, Satan himself. The prince of this world should be cast out, our Lord said. Uh, St. John says, the reason the son of God was made manifest was to destroy the work of the devil. And this is the warrior theme, which is universal in the fathers, universal, especially in the desert fathers of the spirituality of militancy. And the crusading spirit is fighting by means of the cross. Like the cross is a weapon against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it means to fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil with no earthly attachment whatsoever. Mm. And so there's two ways to fight with this crusading spirit. One is the, the spiritual sword in terms of the St. Stephen is the first martyr. He's the witness. And that is the, the red martyr. He is the one who fights with the spiritual sword because he gives his blood and sheds his blood fighting against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And he conquers his enemies by forgiving them because St. Paul obviously is the, you know, the, one of the cooperators of his martyrdom. Um, so this is what conquers and converts the enemies of Christ. Now, ultimately, there's, there is also a temporal sword in Christendom as well. There is the crusade that, as we know it, as we commonly call it, but that's actually a much earlier development than many think. It actually did arise under the empress Pulcheria in Constantinople, in the 400s was really the first true crusade to fit the description, which is where there was a temporal army fighting on behalf of Christendom and the city of God, not for an earthly kingdom. And that was first done by the Empress Pulcheria, who's a saint. Uh, and it was continued by Emperor Heraclius later on in the 600s as well. And so there is this, this idea of a holy war, but it's a war with no earthly intention. It's solely to secure the rights of the church for souls and society. Okay. 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 That makes sense. Uh, yeah. That, that's, man, you could write a whole book about just that right there. <laughs> that, that's, that, there's a lot to dig into there. And we're speaking with Timothy Flanders. He's the author of the book, City of God versus City of Man. You can find it online. Just type that into your to your browsers. Amazon is a good place to check it out. He has different versions there. He's coming out with also audio book, book which I know many of you like. We got a few comments here in the comment boxes I want to get to before we um, continue. And the producer, Sissel, she put a link. If you're looking on the Facebook and the other streams, it looks like the producer, Sissel Anderson, has put a link to the City of God in, in um, there. So go to our, our pages. You can find a link there if you're struggling. And so Anthony Rodriguez, um, he looks to be a big promoter, um, Timothy. He's saying, um, they're talking about your book, and he says, Laura, it's a must-buy, my opinion, and I have not even, I'm not even out of the gates of it. Everyone who I know read it said it's amazing. <laughs> so... And Thanks, we have Anthony. another yeah, shout out to Anthony. He's one of our uh, supporters and, and uh, partners in, in the meaning of Catholic. Oh, also. Yeah. And I uh, can't pronounce the name here. Corundru says, we know God chose to create lesser creatures to mediate his truth, goodness, beauty, and love to save souls. It seems like the devil parodies this by using creatures to steal souls from God. Is you want to, comment on that timothy is there a parody that you've noticed yeah in your work absolutely well th this is this is of course the wickedness of idolatry and this mm -hmm. is the use of creatures in a disordered way 
to offer worship to them in exchange for power. And I think the way that the New Testament really deepens this understanding is that it claims that avarice itself is idolatry because it's the love of money is the root of all evil, says St. Paul. And so this is actually a big uh, running aspect of the history in that we the, the gospel comes to any culture and the idols must be torn down in every culture violently publicly because they are keeping the people subdued to satan saint paul says that uh, they have been kept in fear of death under the empire of death in the in the epistle to the hebrews and so the gospel comes to every culture and the saints come and they preach and then they violently destroy the idols to prove to the people that they have no power by the sign of the cross but then the idols within our hearts must be torn down in particular and uh, most potently the idol of money, the idol of avarice. So there's this, this deeper idolatry, which the gospel then must, must penetrate and cleanse. And economics is a very, very important part that uh, the gospel really cleansed uh, it most, most uh, conspicuously uh, the slave trade is mm. is the way that uh, this is seen most uh, conspicuously in the church, is the way that the gospel freed the slaves. It actually freed the slaves twice <laughs> um, because there was a slave trade that was it was abolished and cleansed in the early ancient times. And then there was the racist slave trade that was reintroduced mm. because because the, the Christians, people don't know this, the Arabs, the Muslims had been carrying on a racist trans-Saharan slave trade from the year C 800 to 14, 1500. They've been doing it for almost a thousand years and they had a racist ideology and Christians succumbed to the idol of money and they yeah. joined the Muslims to, to do this racist slave trade, which was condemned by the popes and, and you know, Jesuits and Dominicans were all fighting against it for centuries. Um, but nevertheless, the gospel still conquered that slave trade as well. Yeah. And so Christian civilization is the only civilization that's that's really abolished the slave trade twice. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fascinating. And let's come to the United States for a moment as we wrap up our discussion. We're speaking with Timothy Planters. He is the author of The Meaning of the Catholic. Also, you can find his work at well, he's the author of The City of God versus the City of Man, but you can also find his work at The Meaning of the Catholic. And also uh, 1 Peter 5, he's the editor there now. And so you can check out some of his work there. And um, oh yeah, Lisa says in the comm box, David, have been able to attend your live sessions lately. Good to see you. Yeah, thanks, Lisa, for coming back. Haven't been doing many live streams, but Cicel, she's um, whenever I do the show on Wednesday, she has the live streams going. So thanks for coming in. And Timothy, let's come to the United States for a moment. I've always been fascinated by the Carols and the Calvers, but particularly, you know, the John Carroll, um, talk a little bit about that coming into the United States and their impact on early Catholicism here. Yeah, absolutely. So it's another complex history because it's kind of like the American revolution on the one hand is a conservative anti-Catholic revolution on the one hand compared to France, France, Quebec, new France, Quebec gets its own Catholicism. Nevertheless, the Carols actually fight on the side of the Patriots and they actually win more rights for Catholics as a result of the American revolution. So it's kind of like a, a American revolution is both good and bad for Catholics. Um, and so the Carroll family, so going back to the Calverts first, 
the the colony of Maryland in the United States was founded by a Catholic refugee from the Protestant England who was just trying to find some peace to celebrate the mass. Uh, you know, see, he was he was just trying to get along with the Protestants because he knew that in, in Protestant England, I mean, he could be denounced and destroyed. He could be killed. So he was just trying to get along with the Protestants. So he's just like, hey, let's just get along. Let's not be too Catholic, too upfront about it. But he happened to have a Jesuit on his ship, and the Jesuit said, no, we got to have a public mass immediately and give thanks to God. So he has uh, the other, and he goes off and converts the Indians and, and baptizes this uh, Indian emperor and all this great stuff. Um, yeah. But the Calvert really want to go along to get along with the Protestants. They mm. don't want to make waves. They just want to survive. And this, this spirit has, unfortunately, infected Catholicism in America. And it also ultimately came into the Carroll, the, sort of the Carroll family, in the sense of going along to get along to curry favor with George Washington. And George Washington was a great man, but he wasn't a Catholic. Uh, and, you know, some say he was converted on his deathbed. I think the evidence is dubious, but he was still a great man. He was virtuous. You know, he was sort of like a, you know, enlightenment, virtuous guy. And we, we you know, we love him. He's a hero. Um, but the Carols were very much wanted to get what they could, which they got, some, they got the right to build churches, which they didn't have before the revolution. Okay. But there is this still this this spirit of compromise with the regime and don't be mm. too Catholic, too controversial in the public square. Otherwise, the Protestant regime will come after you. And that's that's actually been the history of Catholicism in the United States right there. Um, every time Catholics became too numerous or too influential, the Protestant regime came down on us. And there was all the always these powerful Catholics who were saying, ah, let's not be too Catholic. And the most famous in the 20th century is John F. Kennedy, who yeah. publicly basically repudiated his whole Catholic faith, which basically is, is a complete um, prediction of Joe Biden. It's uh, John F. Kennedy did the same thing in principle as Joe Biden is doing now. Uh, and John F. Kennedy did it publicly before he was elected president in the year 1960. I mean, he should have been condemned as a heretic right there, you know, before uh, we, we would have had a lot less problems. But it was an era of optimism. We thought it would work. Unfortunately, it has not worked. And so now we're left to pick up the pieces. But it is it is a complex history because there are some uh, obvious pluses. You know, American the American empire today, the United States, has far more free masses in the whole world right now with the COVID and everything uh, yeah. than many strongly catholic countries like mexico who would have thought the united states would have more sacraments available per capita than mexico one of the, like pretty much the most catholic region of north america you know um so the america is great but flawed so it's a complex history yeah wow that i, I never even thought about that how that has infected catholicism for the next few hundred years after the carols and the cowers man that, that's that's really fascinating go get timothy's book the city of god versus the city of man where, where, where are we at now in this in god's providence and how you see him leading us where are we at now in this in this story tim well uh the the big moments of darkness in the church's history are what I call the pornocracies. Now, this is a term by historians who refer to the 10th century, the, the so-called pornocracy or the dark age of the papacy, which when there was really corrupt popes, the Vatican was really corrupt and everything. Um, but there was actually, right after that darkness, there was this huge 
renewal and revival, which is the glories of the high middle ages, St. Thomas Aquinas, right after this huge dark period of the, of the church. Uh, the same thing happened with the Protestant revolt. There was a, a very dark period, the Renaissance papacy, very corrupt. Everything was extremely corrupt. And then we have the actual, the Baroque civilization. P another thing people don't realize is that the Protestant revolt was largely a failure. Uh, the, the Catholic counter-revolution, the counter-reformation, was causing a, a, the renewal of the faith and the expanding of the faith in what, what we call in the book Second Christendom, which is Baroque civilization in Italy, Austria, Spain, New Spain, North and South America, Philippines. These other places are growing Christendom and expanding Christendom. Um, and so I believe that we are also in the, this sort of third pornocracy. We have all these scandals and all this corruption in our church right now with the hierarchy. But I think that we're actually at the cusp of a great triumph. Uh, that may sound naive, but just read this book. This is the evidence <laughs> of God's working. This is how God works. He, he, yeah. he, he allows, as, 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 as God the Father allowed the Son of God to literally be crucified and die, literally die and be buried. He also allows the church, his body, to, in, in as literally as it can be, really die and then rise again every time. Mm. Another example is the French Revolution. At, right after the French Revolution, which was a horrible killing of persecution of Christians and, and nuns and priests, there was a massive revival in French Catholicism right after that. It had never huh. been seen in centuries. A massive <laughs> revival. We have St. John Vianney. We have multiple apparitions of yeah. Our Lady. We have all these people using the new railroads of the of the 19th century to go on all these pilgrimages, this yeah. huge revival of French Catholicism right yeah. after the darkest period in French history. Right. So I think that we really are at the cusp of a, a huge renewal, but it's going to come from heaven. It's not going to come from all of our planning or anything like that. It's going to awesome. come from the grace of God and he's going to do it because Obviously, we can only do, we can do nothing but sin uh, of our own. <laughs> awesome. But we have to leave it there. That's that's a that's a great finish. Tim Tim is hopeful, and there's evidence for that hope. So I, I would say that. So thanks again for coming in, Timothy. Everybody, go out and get the book City God versus City Man. Thank you for tuning in. I'll be back same time next week, same place, and I look forward to conversing with you again. In between time, you can visit me at davidlgray.info. But until then, till next time, remember. Jesus loves you and is there for you. And live your life like salvation matters. And may the abundance of our Lord's blessings and graces and favors fall upon you and yours. Thank you. On December 23rd, just days before we celebrate the arrival of the Christ child, 